Welcome to the All In Your Head podcast, where we get all in your head. We are a mental health podcast focused on anything and everything mental health. We'll have special guests ranging from mental health experts, mental health advocates, and just everyday people with real struggles. We will share laughs, we will share cries, but most importantly, we will have real conversations about mental health. So with that being said, let's get all in your head. Woohoo! Life is always going to throw you curveballs. Yeah. How you respond to it, that's up to you. Just like I'm modeling in the workshops, how we deliver this, yeah. uh, I'm modeling for my child, how we can respond to curveballs in life. We could have a whole other podcast on resiliency skills, grit, sure. and how to teach those to, and, mm-hmm. and you know, there's been a lot of research on, and how you can teach those and help people develop those maybe on a future podcast, because there's a lot to that. And I think that there's a lot of value. And I think in today's society, we don't focus on that as much teaching kids specifically resiliency and grit and how to just how to work through challenges. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's get into it and getting to know you a little bit. I know that you have a, you have a why as to why you do this and a, and a purpose, you know, whatever you're comfortable, I want to start just talking about why you do this and kind of your journey that brought you to what you're doing now. When I look at my own experience uh, in treatment, I think back to what were the most motivating things for me, what helped me the most, and what were the areas that gave me the most challenge. And when when I look back at that time, the the group therapy, it didn't work for me. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. I just it didn't work for me. Yeah. And the reason I believe that is is because I had ADHD, maybe, you mm. know. And in this particular group I I was in, they were reading from a standard curriculum. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, worksheets, a lot of one person talking at a time. And that's not the best way that I learn. Okay. But I also have an extensive knowledge of education, right? And so I know that there are diverse learners all over the place, especially if you look at group therapy. I mean, if you have 12 people in a room, they're going to have different motivations, different background knowledge that color their current perceptions. They're going to have different learning preferences. You know, they're going to be at different stages in recovery. A one size fits all approach is not going to be the best thing for everybody in that room every single time. So by incorporating these into the group therapy setting, we can address the needs of more people. Okay. And I don't want to look at group therapy as an individual therapy session with 10 people watching, which I think is how, unfortunately it's delivered. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What I want it to be is an opportunity to get a large population of people closer to their goal. Right. Maybe not everybody's going to take five steps forward. Maybe some people will take three, others will take five. Maybe somebody will take one. But currently, there are people that are not moving at all. Yeah. Yeah. Because there people are back in treatment four, five, six times. Yeah. No, I think that's very well said. You know, Andrew, this is the All in Your Head podcast. And, you know, we get real on this podcast. And, you know, I want to give listeners an opportunity to get to know you. And so, you know, part of that is, is maybe why you're in treatment in the first place. So whatever you're comfortable sharing, what, why were you in treatment? I can point back to so much that happened in my life and in my childhood, but there's a million reasons I started, you know, using substances to cope with, with stress. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, just as I, as I got older, it, I, I used them, I relied on them more and more. Yeah. Um, and it got to a, it just, it got to a, a breaking point for me where I had competing priorities and I could no longer be the husband, the father, the role model I wanted to be 
if I kept using. Yeah. And so w- when I got to that point, I, I started doing my research, you know, and that, that's, that, that's something that drives me. I mean, I'm, I'm always a lifelong learner. Yeah. So I started doing research. I started, I went into treatment and I, I started looking at what do I really want to accomplish and what do I need to do to make that happen? Yeah. And yeah. Did, did, did treatment help you? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It did. Some of the skills that uh, I still use today, I was introduced to in treatment or yeah. through, through my own research while I was in seek. I, I consider, I consider treatment, not only the facility I went to or the, uh, my counselor or yeah. my sponsor, I, I consider it just that entire journey. Yeah. Me. Yeah. I like how you said that. Cause we, when you hear the word treatment, you think about therapist and you think about curriculums. Yeah. But there are so many things that are helpful in moving you forward in your treatment. And the things, exactly. there's a lot of things that don't get credit. I used to yeah. work at a, I used to work at a facility that, that had a cycling team mm-hmm. with a very empathetic therapeutic cycling coach. And there was more treatment oftentimes on the road than in a treatment group because mm-hmm. they're getting exercise. They're having real conversations. They're having real relationships. So I like, I like how you said that. Like when we think about treatment, it's not just talking to a therapist. It's not just like group therapy session is not that facility that you're at necessarily. There's a lot, there's a lot to a treatment experience. I agree. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because between, uh, my partner, Nick and I, we have observed hundreds of groups. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about like retreats, resort style facilities to yeah. Medicaid facilities. Right. And the one consistent thing we do is we ask patients, like, what about this time makes you feel confident you're going to be successful. And, we often hear things like, um, well, the therapist treats me like a person, or I really like my therapist. And that stuff's incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, the therapeutic alliance well established that that's critical, but they seldom, if ever, can point to any specific skill or any anything that they've learned that's going to help them be successful when they leave. And all the things that they mention are within the treatment space, but we need to get them ready for outside, Right. That's where I think the extensive practice needs to come into play. And mm-hmm. I think we talked about this before, but for the benefit of your listeners, you know, have you ever met anyone who was terrified of going into the water? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and they're not just scared, they're terrified. <laughs> right. my, my wife almost drowned when she was seven. She's terrified of going into the water. Yeah, well, let's say you have I, a person like I, couldn't, I was gonna say I couldn't swim until I was like 19. So yeah, good. So <laughs> I, was, you know. I was I was definitely uh, terrified of water. And I don't want to sidetrack from your point. And in high school at that time, we, we had a pool in our high school and we had to tread water for five minutes to pass it, pass a test. Yeah. I cheated. Don't tell anyone. Well, (laughs) it's all out there now. I cheated. (laughs) I was like right next to the side and I was holding on to the side when I needed to. Uh, So I passed and I was a, I was an athlete too. And my football coach was the PE teacher, which helped too, but I was terrified. Yeah. Terrified. So, you know, right. And so let's say we have someone who is terrified of the water, but they really, they need to learn how to swim. Like they really want to learn. So for, for this, for this individual, if they go, if they go to a therapist, okay, so what's, what's the first thing that the therapist needs to do? I mean, they need to develop that trust, that safety. They need, you know, the patient needs to process those fears over, you know, overcome those fears. Are they ready to jump in the pool? Yeah. I mean, if, no, if, no, no, I no, saying, no. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to drown. Right. Mm-hmm. Even the next step of, of understanding that swimming involves paddling of arms and kicking of legs. Are they ready to swim? No, no, they just, they just have the information, right? They just yeah. Have, yeah. 
Exactly. So they need to get in the pool and they need to practice with help, right? They need to practice, practice, practice. Well, recovery capital skills are no different. When we're talking about skills, we need to practice them in order to be successful using them. And if you can practice them under various conditions, yeah. you're even going to be more set up for success. But that's not happening right now. I mean, it might be here and there, but nowhere near enough and addressing everybody in the room almost non-existent. So that's yeah. what we're going to change. Yeah, it's funny. We I think we first got acquainted on a social media post on a LinkedIn post that I made about mm-hmm. clinical supervision and teaching skills. And I, I think I, well, I know that I made someone angry in that post. <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, I know. Because uh, I, I said something along the lines of if you just focus on rapport building, then you just become a paid friend. Mm-hmm. And I, I stand by that. I stand by that. You know, and I think I do also acknowledge that there's research to support the benefits of a therapeutic relationship and alliance and rapport that, that has mm-hmm. value. And some research says that's, a, that's 40% of client success is mm-hmm. that therapeutic relationship. I completely, I completely acknowledge that. But if you have that without skills, then your impact is limited. Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, you certainly, there's value there. You, you, you model what it's like to have a healthy relationship. You give them a safe place, right. To express some of their concerns, but they need those skills. Like, as you were saying, they, they need those skills. Absolutely. Can I give you an example of one of the strategies the Institute uses? Maybe sure. it'll benefit some yeah. of your listeners. Yeah, sure. Okay. So it, like I said, we, we observe lots and lots of groups. Um, it's very common in a psychoeducational or a CBT skills-based group um, for a, a clinician to, you need to get a definition for something, but let, let's just, we'll take the, the very simple one. What does recovery mean to you? Okay. So when we see this kind of thing happen, we, we'll either see the clinician read from a curriculum read a definition, in which case no patients are talking, yeah. or they'll ask the whole group, in which case one usually confident member will answer, one or two more will maybe piggyback off of that, but most of the room stays silent. Alternatively, you can say, turn to the person next to you, and you have two minutes, come up with a definition of recovery that you both agree with. Yeah. What, what happens now? everybody's talking, even the introvert that might be uncomfortable sharing out loud because they're afraid of being judged as wrong or all eyes are on them. No, now they're just talking one-on-one while they're, they're well aware. Everybody else is preoccupied with their own conversations. The therapist gets to walk around the room and monitor and address misconceptions early. Like I said before, you don't want to find out 40 minutes later that they have a different idea. Yeah. Right. So this is just a basic education strategy that can really liven up an entire room. Yeah, I like that. You know, and I see that being used in other areas too, not just group therapies. Like I think about management teams that I've been a part of. Yep. I'm also a professor at a university, right? Where I teach, where, I, where I'm the instructor. So I see this, the skill that you just mentioned, and I'm, I'm curious if there's other skills. Oh, there's a that, ton. <laughs> but, you know, I, I see the skill that you just used being applicable in a lot of different areas. That's why it's so fascinating to me and so exciting to me for me to bring this to group therapy, because yeah. yes, uh, there are some clinicians that even I've talked to, if you looked at LinkedIn and stuff that they, they try to box these things. Like if I say, yeah. oh, you should try this. They say, oh, that sounds like it belongs in an elementary classroom. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're right. We use this in elementary school. I've used this in Fortune 100 business trainings. Yeah. I've used this in middle school. And I've seen this effectively implemented in group therapy. 
So just because it works some one place doesn't mean it's not going to work everywhere. You've got a you've got a group of diverse people that you're trying to move towards some sort of goal. Yeah. This is what works to get everybody moving. Yeah, that's that's great. I'm curious to hear more of the skills. Um, but you know, I do want to make a, a few points on that. You know, one of them being I've been a clinical supervisor for a long time and I've observed, you know, hundreds of groups. And groups can be a career killer. Like I, I think that groups have led to the demise of some therapists, meaning there are no longer therapists right now because of groups. And I've I've gotten the phone calls after groups saying, Hey, I don't think I don't think I'm cut out for this field. Not like I don't think I'm cut out for this position. I don't think I'm cut out for this field. So how do you think, you know, what you're talking about and what you're teaching, how how will that help people? Well, I think that this is actually a very, very fantastic question. And if there are any executives listening, this is the part to pay attention to. When you can deliver groups well, it's an enjoyable experience. I've I've taught every (laughs) age. That's hilarious to me. This is why I tell you that, because there are two things that most therapists hate. I know you're speaking to executives right now, but there are two things that therapists hate groups and family therapy like they <laughs> like it's funny like i used to be in a residential program and right mm-hmm. before group therapy because everyone did group at the same time the, the complete mood shifted and they act like they're going to war or something like that. yeah i understand why i have led classes where i wasn't prepared or or you know or i wasn't as uh comp or i wasn't as good with the content as i originally thought i was and it was like pulling teeth yeah. miserable And like, you can see everybody's not getting it. And it's not, it's just like, I just want to get out of here. It's terrible. You know, alternatively, when they're, when they, when the session goes well, it it goes by like that. Like everybody's moving around, everybody's talking, everybody's engaged. It's over before you know it. And so if you are struggling in delivery, this might be, this training might be just what you need to bring you greater job satisfaction right? Yeah. This might actually keep you as a clinician. Yeah. We had, we had a moment of ADHD there and I want to get back to what you're saying. Because, oh, I don't even remember what we were talking because about. <laughs> it was important because you said executives, you need to listen to this, right? Oh yeah. And then we got so, distracted. So what do they need to listen to? Well, the fact that, that this should help in, you know, employee retention, you know, if, gotcha, if, gotcha, gotcha. if you're, if you're dreading your groups every week, then that's a part of your job that you really don't like, yeah. you know? And so if we can improve that point, I mean, not only is investing in your staff shown to, to keep employees, but also if we can make their job better and they can make it, enjoy it more, you know, isn't that a win for everybody? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you're talking about the therapist having more job satis- satisfaction, which hopefully leads to them being more effective in the job longer. You're talking mm-hmm. about clients making more progress as, as well, right? That's the whole reason why we do what we do. So yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're onto something. And and you know, in, in the places that I've been a part of, what we often do, we don't really teach people how to do groups. We teach them more curriculums. And so yeah, it's like kind of exactly. using an analogy that you talked about earlier. It's kind of like teaching them different strokes for swimming before they even get in the pool, right? Right. And you know, we've seen that almost across the board in clinician courses and including master's level, like they sometimes, you know, Yalom is brought up, but it's yeah. usually more in theory than practice. And facilitation is a skill. You yeah, need to sure. practice it. You can't, you're not going to, you're not going to learn how to do it from reading about it in a book. Like you need to be in the situation, you know, varied context, like we said, yeah. and you'll get better and better as you go, just like any other skill. Objective of a session is something that just seems wildly all over the board. 
You know what I mean? If for yeah. existing curriculums or some, some of them just have a, like a sheet with talking points or topics, you know, there, there's almost no consistency across the industry as far mm. as what an objective should look like. And from an educational standpoint, I'm going to tell you, okay, okay. this is five questions, but we've broken it down to three to make it easier. One, what do I want my patients to be able to do by the end of this session? Like what, what's the point? Why are we here? Okay. Uh, two, how will I know if they've done that? And this is a, this is a big one. That's a, that's a, that is a big one. The measurement seems to be missing from the objective hundred percent of the time. And let me tell you something. I, I was, when I was once a, a new manager, uh, this was in Shanghai, uh, my, regional VP, Jessica, she asked me, how was I going to hit my goal that was due in three days? And I said, well, I'm hoping for a great weekend. We're going to get a lot of people walking through. She said, let me stop you right there. Hope is not a strategy, <laughs> like dagger through the heart, right. but she's absolutely right. Hope is not a strategy. You want your patients to get somewhere. How are you going to know if they've done it? That must be built in. Right. Yeah. And Another thing that connects to motivation is the third question. How is this going to help them be successful when mm -hmm. they leave treatment? Exactly. If you yeah, can't that's, answer that's those so three questions, then what, what are you doing there? It's so interesting. You know, one question that often comes up for practitioners in a lot of different forms is, has this person made change? And that's a difficult question, right? Especially if you haven't if you have nothing to measure, you know, and some of it's intrinsic, some of it's extrinsic, but that's a really good question. Well, it's, you know, and it's easy to just say, yes, 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 mm -hmm. yes. You know, but if you, if you can't prove it, then you're just guessing. I mean, yeah. you, you might have a really like strong feeling that they understand, but what patients actually understand versus what you think they understand, this goes for students, this goes for people. Okay. Yeah. In any learning situation, it, it often looks quite different. And of course, you know, there are strategies to, to check, uh, to check understanding as well, you know, but it, it, it takes some preparation with concept checking questions and, you know, uh, asking really specific targeted questions that will help you know what, where they are in their understanding or in the continuum of skill building. Yeah. That's huge as well, because I've seen so many times in treatment experiences, those programs can be difficult sometimes. And there can be a lot of stress in those programs and sometimes they're not safe as well. And oftentimes what that does for the therapist is they only focus their time and attention on what's going on in that residential treatment program. Like yeah. that's not, that's not transfer of skills. Like they're obviously if, if they learn some skills, we hope that they can transfer those outside of the program, but treatment programs are artificial environments and we try to replicate the real world as much as possible, but it's still art artificial. So we have to be really intentional in our, delivery of services to make sure that those skills transfer outside of the treatment experience. Yes. And there's no better place for skill building than in-group therapy. Like yeah. you have, you have people that you can set up with different dialogue cards, different role plays. Again, it needs to be under various contexts and conditions. That's the best way to really be, you know, to practice and to really get ready for, for leaving. I mean, uh, it's, it's war out there, you know, <laughs> it's like it really boot camp times. And yeah. this involves having to push patients outside of their comfort zone at times, because, you know, when they get outside, no one's going to be holding their hand. You have to get them ready to do it on their own. Yeah. You know, and, you know, coming back to the objective for a second, you know, the other, the other questions that are, are very important is, you know, how am I going to get 
a diverse group of people to that goal as quickly as possible. Mm. What, what am I going to do if there's 20 minutes left and they haven't gotten it? What am mm. I going to do if there's 20 minutes left and they have? Because now <laughs> if we really want to make this learning great for everybody, I better have some tricks up my sleeve to get everybody continually to move. But we cut it down to three because you don't even worry about the second three questions if you can't answer the first, right? Yeah. You know, I like what you said about going to war because it's so true. And, you know, we have a variety of different types of clients that we work with, but a lot of the clients that I work with, and I'm sure that you've interacted with, it's life or death. What they're going through is life or death. And that's part of the reason why I started the mental health training camp on YouTube as a YouTube channel, really just as a platform to teach therapists. Well, it has a couple of goals, but to teach therapists skills, because I found that even in master's level programs, they're not learning enough skills to, to work with clients. And, you know, in the spirit of, of providing more services to people, we're allowing therapists to provide them sooner. Mm -hmm. And that's scary, right? Like that's scary to have therapists out there working with people with real issues that are not prepared, but then also to provide uh, pointers and tips to, to real people just about how they can take care of their mental health. There's always going to be times in, in treatment where people are going to need, you know, moments of process affordance. And again, that's why everything that we are teaching, there are tools to be used when appropriate. It's yeah. nothing is, is rigid. It's all flexible. It's all ways that you can take existing things that you're doing and just getting everybody engaged because yeah. At the end of the day, the the facilitator, the clinician, they're they're the expert, and they know what's best at at that time. You know, we're not gonna yeah. not gonna sit here and tell them what therapeutic interventions to use. Just strategies to enhance engagement, retention, and recallability. Yeah. But groups provide a unique opportunity to get a lot of people together, feed off of each other's energy, positive energy, and move them forward together. Yeah. Um, I think. Places will be utilizing groups a lot more. Even more importantly, they should be doing it the right way, right? Yeah, and so yeah. that's why we're. I mean, my main focus right now is to you know get in touch with those decision makers so we can you know show them what we got, show them how we can help their staff, help as many people as possible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I haven't really found any other program like ours. I think we're the only one, to be honest. Uh, that's why we we mentioned before the podcast, I, I'm interesting, uh, interested in partnering up with some universities or something yeah. and trying to get this program into the graduate level courses, you know, so people are set up for success. You know, we need, we need more clinicians, not less right now. And so these skills are vital, not only for job satisfaction, but also to maximize that time you get with your patients, you know, whether it's a 30 day, 90 day, you know, the time is valuable. We need to maximize it every time for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. A lot of the listeners that are on this show uh, are mental health professionals, but a lot of them are just everyday people with real struggles, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have someone who had struggles and you're overcoming or the process of overcoming your struggles. Like it's a lifelong battle, right? Mm -hmm. And so what advice would you give to people who might be in the midst of their storm? I would say continue to search for meaning. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It's that there has to, there has to be something worthwhile that, you know, that you can take small steps to achieve, celebrate every day. I mean, yeah. for me, I mean, I often tell people this when I meet them for the first time, especially in the behavioral health space, like I'm, I'm thankful I'm not dead or in jail. 
which yeah. I very easily mm -hmm. could be either one of those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, for me, it was just, it was taking the little steps. It was, my motivation was I wanted to break the cycle of addiction in my family. I wanted my daughter to grow up with parents who, you know, weren't fighting, who weren't erratic, who I wanted to be a good role model for her. Set, set yourself up with a schedule, yeah. you know, some, some routines. I like that relationships you got yeah. it you have to build your support network and and just keep talking to people it, loneliness is a is a killer yeah I, I completely agree you know i think a lot of times people think that mental health professionals have it all together little mm -hmm. do they know we're a hot mess right <laughs> i met this guy at a conference and within 30 seconds of talking to him we're at a little breakfast he said he looked at me and said, so what's the childhood trauma that brought you into the field? Awkward question. But as I thought about it, I was like, it's probably a very valid question as well. Absolutely. So Andrew, how would people find out more about your programs? You can either visit us at grouptherapycertification.com or, you know, I am always pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can search for my name, Andrew Bort. Um, but also, you know, if, if you're interested in learning more, you give me a call. You have just listened to the All In Your Head podcast. Learn more by following Jamie Glick on LinkedIn or by subscribing to the Mental Health Training Camp YouTube channel. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, you can call now or text 988 to get connected to free confidential support. Thanks for listening.